So the first thing that I've mentioned it a couple times before we get into actually how it plays differently mm-hmm. is the collectibles. Okay. Oh my goodness, the collectibles in this game. They scrape a new low. It's not even scraping the bottom of the barrel for the collectibles in the campaign so much as they have taken the bottom out of the barrel and they're scraping underneath it now. <laughs> um, because, and I know you said you weren't really paying much attention to the collectibles, but basically what you've got is on some of the chapters, but not all, but most of the ones where you're playing as Aiden in some um, third-person type of scenario as opposed to it being, uh, or first-person, I guess, um, as opposed to playing as one of the other characters or being in a ship, mm-hmm. there are things to find. There are these crates, basically, and you walk up to it, and you tell the droid, like, slice that. Need a slice here. And the droid goes and slices it, and then it tells you at the top you've collected one of the collectibles, okay? That is it. There is no collectible thing you just collected. All you've done is check a box off a list. There is no menu to go see some item you've collected. There's no audio log you've collected. There's no text log you've collected. You've collected absolutely nothing. All you've done is checked a box by interacting with that item in the background. And basically, it checks them off as, uh, like, when you're playing the campaign, there's these milestones you can get, just like in the other modes, where you can get different rewards for completing a certain thing. Like, for instance, complete the level where you're playing as Lando, and you get a crate to open up to get some Lando stuff, Lando-specific stuff. Um, And if you get all the collectibles, I think I said it was credits last time or crystals last time, you get... um, Uh, I don't want to say it's crafting parts, I think it is. I think I said that wrong last time. But you get a reward for finding all the collectibles in each chapter. Mm -hmm. And by doing that and by just completing the chapters, those are the only milestones related to the story. But aside from just, hey, I got some crafting parts, the collectibles are nothing. I mean, even the most lame and lazy of games usually will give you some audio thing or text thing for a collectible, or they'll give you some 3D model of an item you can spin around and look at or something. But there is literally nothing to go with finding each of these collectibles. It's not finding a collectible. There is nothing to collect. It is checking a box off a list saying, I just interacted with this environmental object. And (laughs) that is lazy as hell. (laughs) And really is one of the things about the campaign that has me scratching my head and feeling like if they did all this other stuff that seemed like they did it right and made it fun, I never thought finding collectibles was something you could screw up since like the first Assassin's Creed and stuff. How do you screw that up? And they managed to screw it up. See, and personally, which this is just my uh, thought process or whatever, I've never liked the whole collectible thing. I've never liked it. Um, but now you're doing it and you don't even have anything that you're getting. So you're still doing it to check it off the list to get the crafting parts for the milestone. But you're not actually seeing anything. And, and they're calling it a collectible. They're not saying, like, interact with this number of objects to get a checkbox mm-hmm. uh, for that particular milestone. They're still calling it collectibles. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. I hate that stuff anyway. So oh, all, I, all I know to tell you is just don't do it. Okay. Now, but... So that drove me nuts <laughs> in the sense of game design. It just really had me scratch my head like, what? That, that's, that's asinine. Right. But one thing that I loved that I wish had carried over to the, can- to the uh, multiplayer is the one big technical difference that I saw within the 
campaign versus multiplayer is in the campaign, you can do stealth kills. You can't really play all the levels as stealth because there's always a moment that is based, seems like it's set up specifically to break your cover if you're trying to play stealth. Okay. Um, I'm not sure you can actually make it through most of the levels doing stealth only, uh, but there are some instances of parts of levels you can get through just on stealth where the dialogue then reflects it. Like if you are going through part of the area on Vardos as you try to escape and you avoid the first few stormtroopers, the dialogue changes from either, you know, they were following orders, but they had to be killed or, you know, that was on basically like that was honorable of you or charitable of you or whatever to let them live. And it's like, well, you know, they don't all have to die. Um, so the stealth aspect isn't fully formed, I guess you'd say, in the campaign. But you do have the ability to basically squat down, sneak up behind a character, and when you get close, click, I want to say it's R3 on the PlayStation 4, and do a stealth kill, mm-hmm. which is nowhere to be found in multiplayer regardless of the mode. I thought that was a cool mechanic and really wish it had carried over. Well, so two things on that. Um, one, actually, th- we'll do three things. First off, Anyone doing that, go ahead and do yourself a giant favor, hit options, go to controls, and switch it to your circle button um, because it's much better, uh, especially for multiplayer mode, to have your melee be your circle button and have the R3 be your crouch because very, very rarely... Will you? Cause I, there's been so many times in past first-person shooter games where I just did not engage the um, the R3 stick properly. Um, but you know, it, and it, it, it cost me for melee. Yeah, but it never really cost me mm. for um, I'm gonna, crouching. I'm going to agree, except I'm going to disagree on one point. Uh-huh. Because if you're playing third person rather than first person, it still does the same thing, but you can actually see it in third person. That's also your evasive roll button, circle. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be using evasive roll very often, you don't want to map that to clicking down an analog stick because especially if you're going to be looking or moving in a specific direction when you roll. But I can see the benefit of changing something to that button. Just – yeah, of remapping. And you can remap pretty much the entire control scheme, I believe. I actually haven't okay. gone in and tried to do that. But I know that like for ship controls, mm-hmm. there's multiple control schemes available that do different things depending on which stick you want to use for what, for instance. Okay. Well, we can no talk about that sticks, though. You know, when we do our uh, multiplayer, yeah. I guess. Um, what would you think about the stealth kill? I mean, I thought the stealth kill mechanic was a pretty cool addition, and it was just disappointing that it I, wasn't in. I, I liked it. Game. The problem was I don't think that they built... It felt like something that they decided later in the game mm-hmm. because... There, there just seemed like very few places that you could actually, um, like, like I, I didn't see many levels where you could do a whole lot of stealth. In fact, probably the the stealthiest, um, or the time that I felt like I was able to be stealthy the longest was when I was sneaking into, um, I want to say it was when I was sneaking into the um, the little temple thing or whatever as uh, Lando. I want to say that was like the furthest I was able to get because. Usually, you you can only get to like one guy, and as soon as you knock him out, then there's nowhere else to go because it's either this guy's going to spot you or that guy's going to spot you. Right, so, that's what I was saying. Like some of the levels. Now, I, I was able to get further than that. Like I got to a point where I had, I think it was like eight stealth kills in a row on one level. Mm-hmm. But there are, it's like there's a bottleneck point in each level designed so that there's no way to move past that without being spotted if you haven't been. It's like they want you to do the gunplay. 
And if you haven't up to that point, they're going to force it to happen because otherwise the next story beat doesn't make sense. Right, right. And I, I, yeah, I kind of wish that they could do it in a way that, and I don't think it's that hard to do. I think you just, um, you don't, you don't acknowledge it necessarily um, in in the cutscenes, but yeah, I, I think that it should be where hey, you know what, you can run and gun if you want, or you can sneak if you want. But I I don't feel like, um, and maybe I'm just not very good at sneaking. Uh, in fact, I'll actually say I'm typically not very good at sneaking. Um, but I I didn't gather that you it was actually feasible to sneak mm-hmm. um, through an entire level um, because it, it just felt like, um, you know, it, it just felt like it, it just w- wasn't doable. Like they didn't want that to happen. Yeah, they'll spot you either way. Um, I had a technical glitch I wanted to mention, but you said you had three things relating to the stealth thing that I was talking about. Did you have anything else still on that? I'm sorry, Before what I bring that? up the glitch? What, what was that? I was, do you have anything – you had said that you had three things, I think, um, relating to what I was talking about when I was talking about the stealth stuff. And I wanted to bring up a technical glitch I ran into, but I didn't want to do so before you had a chance to get all three of those pieces uh, in that you I think, had. Was there anything still? I think that was it. I, I'm, let's see. I, okay. I, I remember mentioning the, the remapping, the the fact that it seemed like you, you can't really um, stealth the whole time, and that's a – about all I remember. If I had oh, anything okay. else to say on it, then I, I've forgotten it at this point. All right, cool. So the only technical thing that I would say that was kind of frustrating to me, uh, that was sort of a visual moment, because uh, I think because it's a beautiful campaign. I mean, it's this, the design of the game, the sound is just fantastic. Was when you're playing as uh, when you're playing as Aiden, and I noticed this most when it was dealing with Hask. But what you'd see is that with most of the other characters, when you're running around as Aiden, if Dell is supposed to be speaking or if you're playing as Lando and Lando's supposed to be speaking, you can see the character models still moving their lips, even if you're not in an actual cutscene, right? Um, and you can sort of turn the camera to be able to see. Like if I'm Lando, if I want to actually see him speaking, I can turn the camera when he's speaking or I can do maybe an emote or something. And turn the camera and see it so it kind of locks him in place. But you can tell that the character models are still actually doing the speaking animation, even if you're not in a cutscene. Mm-hmm. Except for Aiden. Most of the time when I was playing as Aiden, if I tried to do any kind of shifting to see her face as she's speaking, um, which it and, and the design doesn't even seem like uh, her character model's face when playing in third person in a regular scene isn't quite as detailed as some of the other ones that were characters that are like beside you that you're looking at more often. Right. Um, but I noticed that her lips a lot of times don't move. Like whenever she go, when she and Dell get to the room where they think they're going to find Gideon on uh, Cloud City, mm-hmm. and instead it's the hologram of him talking to her, it's a perfect moment to be able to look sort of at her face as she's speaking um, while the hologram is also playing. And her lips don't move at all. And it was just a weird thing that kind of took me out of it because most modern games are going to keep the lips moving to go along with the dialogue, even if it's in the, the play area, not a cutscene. And this game seems to do it for everyone, except in some instances, Aiden doesn't do it. And I don't know if it's just, well, they're figuring, ah, eh, nobody's going to turn the camera around anyway. We don't need to have her speaking like that. 
Uh or if it's a glitch that just in some scenes she's not, but she's programmed to and just doesn't or what the deal was. Um, But that was the one thing that kind of struck me as a wait, what was that? I didn't must be a telepath or something because she can talk (laughs) or or she's she's related to Jeff Dunham somehow without moving her lips. Right. You know, so I didn't notice that necessarily, but I did notice how hard it was to to see her like you can't really Mm -hmm. pan around right because i was trying to show my wife her um you know her rebel uh attire and you mean the flight suit that she wears half on half off for the entire time she's a rebel that makes no sense um i don't know necessarily say that it makes no sense but um but yeah it's that one i i actually really like it and i like it for a couple reasons um you're going to cosplay as Aiden, aren't you? You're going to tie your hair back in a ponytail. You know aren't you? it, buddy. I, that's why I've been <laughs> growing it out this whole time. No, um, but for like if she was, because you know, she wanted to do the, um, she wanted to, to cosplay as, as those uh, characters, and uh, um, or she wanted to, do, to be like the Inferno Squad Aiden. And I was mm-hmm. like, hey, do this one because it would be really cheap and easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Because much the thing, easier than making a full set of black armor. Well, no, I I was gonna say um, even even easier than doing a. It's it's actually not the armors the, the hard thing because they're mostly just parts. Um, so you would just call up uh, some of the vendors and just be like, hey, give me this. Uh, I, I need a um, you know a shadow trooper uh, chest plate. Uh, then, you know, then what is it if it's not the armor that would make it's her the rebel jumpsuit. version? It's the jumpsuit. Really, the jumpsuits because they have to have. Um, like the the actual like neck portion or whatever like where it velcros um Uh that has to be exact the uh pockets all need to be exact all everything like that but because hers is basically rolled down 90 percent of like all of that stuff that would normally have to be correct Uh, doesn't matter (laughs) because it's all rolled up (laughs) you cheated right right very nice yep so, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at the campaign, and I don't see a lot of issues. I, th- I think the expectation thing got me, and the collectibles thing was an issue for me. But I thought it was pretty good. I think that there is some concern out there about the length of it. Mm-hmm. But for a campaign that's part of a game that is primarily a multiplayer game, right? a lot of times I think I can sort of forgive a shorter campaign length if that's not the primary focus of the game. So, yeah. not as big a thing. Although, wasn't it – I'm trying to remember how the, the division of labor worked out. I know DICE was doing multiplayer. Wasn't it that Motive did, did the story and Criterion did the new controls for Starfighter Assault? Or do, am I getting Motive and Criterion backwards? You know what? You already know. it wasn't DICE. You, you know what? You already know way more than I do. I was completely unaware of that. I thought DICE did everything. So that's – that's actually interesting, um, and and I honestly, maybe I'm the only dum-dum, but um, I honestly was wondering, uh, you know, how many other people may uh, not know that. That's uh, So, so I, just, I just looked it up because I figured you would know. Um, oh, my bad. I figured you way more than know than I am on that. Um, but yeah, so it's Space Combat by Criterion. Motive did the campaign, it looks like. Um, but yeah, so they had three different teams that were involved, and DICE, the primary team, was doing the you know, the multiplayer stuff. And you could make the argument, I guess, that, well, if there were separate teams, why couldn't the campaign be longer? Uh But I think it comes back to which one is the lead team who's primarily doing the game and which are the teams brought in as support, kind of. 
Well, because he, in essence, that's what the, the the way the campaign plays feels like. We had the multiplayer game, and now it's sort of a. I mean, aside from just having the story itself, a lot of the stuff that you do in the campaign feels like, hey, we're taking you through sort of a little bit of a, almost like a practice mode for the multiplayer. We're getting you used to the controls, used to the character, even used to some of these heroes before you jump into multiplayer. And even says what you were saying earlier. I can't remember if it was actually when we were on the show or right before we started recording about uh, Aiden's adventure continues in multiplayer or however it's worded. Mm -hmm. That's all basically saying, okay, you've done the campaign. Now get out there and kill your fellow man. Yeah, and the thing is, too, that, um, you know, I, I didn't consider that, and, and, and keeping in mind, it's stuff like um, the character models and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like, you can't, it, it's hard to do anything if you don't have uh, the, the character models to, to use, so that very well could, right. could be a lot of it, too, because if, if they're both working on it, like, let's say for, it, it would basically be like, Okay, I'm gonna, you know, Nate and I are, are doing this project for school, and I'm going to be doing um, the actual like research part of it, and Nate's gonna actually write the paper. Well, Nate can't write the paper until I get all the research stuff done, which takes right. me back to, you know, doing school projects in school and how uh, how how frustrating group projects could be at times. But anyhow, it's, <laughs> it's funny that because they didn't, you know, now that you say that, there aren't a lot of character models used outside of the cutscenes, at least, uh -huh. um, that do seem like they were new just for the campaign. Like, I would say probably the, the ones that stand out are, um, I mean, obviously you you don't have, in multiplayer, you don't have um, Hask and you don't have Dell, for instance. So, of course, those are new ones. But it just struck me, most of these characters have alternate appearances you can choose. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that, and I say this as, of course, I've got actual... Battlefront 2 pulled up on my PS4 on the other side of the room, but so maybe I'll check the collection here. But I don't believe that if you're playing as Aiden, you have the option to change her appearance. Let me see. Um, you can change... No, you can change her victory pose and her emotes and her star cards for multiplayer, but you can't do an appearance change that makes her look like her rebel self because she's always an imperial reinforcement in the game. Okay. So... That that other look, that flight suit look for Aiden, that would have been a different character skin that I guess had to be made just for the campaign because that one doesn't actually appear in multiplayer. But otherwise, you're right. Like the vast majority of stuff you see mm -hmm. well, and, is in you know, like like I'm betting even Shriv is probably just like a background character somewhere that's just not named Shriv in one of the missions or something. Well, but it's it's not even so much that as um like like what you have to keep in mind is that shriv is a you know it's kind of like how people were like oh great so they did um you know remember with uh the first dlc where we got greedo who was it greedo and um who was the other one where basically people were mad because they're like you just for the most part yeah you just took a, a character that already existed as a customization option and right yeah. so so it's a lot of that of where you know, you they sort of create these templates or whatever, and then like there may be, you know, slight modifications that they'll do to it. You know, and and it's not just characters; it's also environmental stuff as well. So, you know, the the thing with that is that, um, you know, people, uh, um, all of that stuff has to has to be done if if the other person's m most likely not creating new stuff. They're they're probably using a lot of the, that same stuff you know like that's probably a shared uh property otherwise it would feel like two separate games 
Right, right, yeah. Um, so they're also running into, I guess I would also, t- t- to connect the tie, for those who are kind of sitting there thinking, oh, I don't know about that point, about just the different, um, the need for the different character models. Remember, that was also something with the Clone Wars that explained why the Clone Wars had a bunch of episodes that aired completely out of chronological order because they had stories they wanted to tell but didn't have the resources for a particular episode to make all the new character models needed. So they had to wait until they had certain character models already made, maybe one or two at a time for different episodes to actually do something more elaborate with more character models. So video games are very much in the same type of vein. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically the same. I guess you don't have the motion capture with something like Clone Wars as you do with the video game. Um, but you still have to do all the character modeling around it. Otherwise, you just have like the motion capture little wire skeleton without an actual well, did, look to it. I mean, this, I know we're getting far afield with this, though, but didn't they do some of that, though? For I was thinking they were talking about doing that for Chewbacca. Where they actually brought uh, um, Peter Mayhew in, but maybe I'm... Didn't they? I know they did some some modeling based on... I can't remember if it was actual motion capture or if it was just looking at footage of the way that he was moving. But yeah, you just don't have it for everybody for yeah. all the different characters. Yeah. So, but any, anyhow, um, like I know that's getting like really deep in that, uh, you know, the, the other thing I was going to mention as far as just different little mechanical things and, and whatnot, uh, something that bothers me. And I want to say this was the case with the, the last game as well. And like, it's probably the one thing that I would actually, if I was able to say to them, Hey, Fix this. I think it's stupid. I don't think it's good. Stop using this, which is interacting with stuff. I hate having to hold down square until the circle completely charges. I think that's the, such the a, circle that you can barely see if you have eyesight like mine because it's white, yellow, and dotted. I, I think that that is such a. It's a needlessly. Um, I don't even know what you would say. It's just, it's needless, you know? Just let me walk up to it and hit square to interact. That's all I need. I would assume that that was, that's another thing that's designed to sort of train us for the, uh, for the campaign, although, or not for the campaign, for the multiplayer, because you do have to do that for different multiplayer modes. Although, I don't recall a point in the campaign where you had a ticking clock kind of thing uh-huh. where you had to defend yourself while still holding it down. So like in the campaign, you walk up, you start holding it down, the circle fills, you're done. It just zips around and you're done. Mm-hmm. In multiplayer, I know you said you didn't do as much of the multiplayer. You've been mainly playing story stuff. In the multiplayer, some modes are like, okay, go set this bomb and then defend it. So you walk up, you hold down the circle, it zips around, the, the bomb is set, and now you just stand there getting ready to shoot people as a counter is growing, basically showing that the bomb is ready to go. Um, whereas there are other modes where you're sabotaging or something, some other phrase that's similar to that. And in those cases, when you get to it and you press down the square button, it looks like nothing's initially happening because you have to hold it down as the circle goes around. And if it takes, like, say, a minute to get the entire progress bar to fill up uh-huh. instead of this time pressing it starting it and waiting for it to fill up while you're defending you have to stand there holding the square button down for that full minute or whatever it is as it slowly fills the circle i right. don't think that there's a uh, there's a moment like that latter kind in the campaign and i wonder if that's why in multiplayer i'm seeing a lot of times of people like in um on the Galactic Assault map for Yavin 4, where the Imperials have to basically um, go to a terminal and do basically a a sabotage or hacking and hold down the square for Mm -hmm. X amount of time. 
to uh, unlock the, the doors to the Yavin base, a lot of people are running up to it, pressing square for a second, and then backing off, not realizing they got to stand there and hold it so they're not actually making any progress on that objective. Because um, that's one of the few things a campaign just does not prepare you for from a game mechanic standpoint. The At least the campaign is just hold it down, zip, you're good to go. But I, I'm assuming that's probably more of a campaign mechanic they just wound up using for it. Because if you're just going to be able to walk up and press a button, you could also just as easily have it, you know, as you walk up, as soon as you get close to it, you lose control of the character. There's an animation of them pressing the button, and then you have control again, too. But they didn't do that either. Yeah, but I don't I, I don't like that. Me neither. In either, like, I don't think that that's even necessary for the... Um, like, I get what you're saying, but I, I think it's it's still a problem. Like, just don't do that in the multiplayer either. I, I don't think you have to sit here and hold that. Because, I mean, honestly, the, what you're doing with that is um, you're wearing out your controller. So don't do that. True. <laughs> but, but I think that from a gameplay mechanic, what they're trying to do is add sort of a difference between protect a spot versus protect an individual to give you some variety in your objectives because it's much it feels very different in the different multiplayer modes from you know if you've got to to protect just a bomb that happens to be set in a certain location you just got to keep enemies from getting to that location whereas if it's protect the person they could be shooting at him from halfway across the friggin map and you've got to make sure that person doesn't get killed because they're in the process of setting the bomb doing the slicing or whatever so in multiplayer i think it makes some sense well, it's just one of those things that just doesn't carry over as well into single player because it feels like a mechanic that's not. But I don't, you know, why I don't not think just it, let us press the button. Well, but I don't think it makes sense either. My my thoughts are, then that's fine, but you don't have to hold down square the whole time. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you mean like maybe like stand in a certain area or something like yeah, like press the button because because what's happening is like if I and I I, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure there's an easier way to do it because let's say in multiplayer that you walk up to it and you're supposed to be the one hacking it. You're holding down the square button to hack it. You could have it so you're holding it down or you could have it where you just activate it and then you have to like stand there or maybe you activate it and you go into a pose that you can't move out of. The problem is the not able to easily move out of it because right no. now if you're doing have a cancel it button. and somebody comes after you, you can just step away from it very quickly and shoot without having to disengage anything. You just take your thumb off the square button and you're good to go. You don't have to like actively say, I need to stand up or I need to stop slicing. You just – your thumb comes off. You're good to go. Yeah, I, I, I say the it's much easier to me to basically you hit square – and it's and it'll just say hacking like basically I could just say it, or, or slicing like maybe it just says slicing and then you see that like a, a moving ellipses and then turn around but you also have the option for it'll just say like circle is cancel and you can just back out of it at that point if you if you're like crap I'm getting shot at I need to to go circle and move that's some more UI kind of stuff to some degree okay. yeah that's, 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 that's getting into the the weeds a little bit, but I'll, no, that's, I'll, I mean, that's game. I'll give you that one as I... a, you know, something I'll say, um, what did you think about the, the crates or whatever you want to call them? Like the supply crates that you can go to, not the supply crates you have to buy and do the microtransactions and all that kind of crap for. But I mean, like as you're playing the campaign, there are these crates you can walk up to right. and switch out it's your gear. Um, did you find yourself using those much? Because what I found was that once I found a weapon that I liked, which I think was the A280 CFE, the one that's kind of like a rifle, but also almost snipery in terms of the fact that you can zoom in. As soon as I started using that one, 
for and getting headshots all the time, I pretty much ignored every other blaster I could use unless they forced me into it at the beginning of a level. And as soon as I got to a supply crate, I got that gun back out again. Did you actually use the full variety of weapons or were you like, like how did you use those supply crates in your playthrough? Um, so I, um, yeah, I, I used it, but again, it was frustrating because I hated having to hold, like, I thought it was stupid having to hold down square the entire time to, to interact with those. Um, I, m- my other thing with it was I didn't like, okay, so you know how, like most of the time it's fine, like where you'll walk up and you'll see, uh, like the rocket launcher or whatever. I thought that was fine, but I did not like where you could, like if you were going to actually change out your primary weapon, you just sort of take it and you can't take your other weapon back if you're like, wait, oh, no, this one sucks. I don't like this one. Well, I mean, you can sort of do that. I mean, you could just open up the supply crate again and switch. I'm not talking about the, I'm talking more like the weapons rack itself. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So you're talking... See, because I'm think I'm not thinking of okay. So there's places for those who are kind of like, what are they talking about? There are places you can go and it's like a weapons rack, and you can swap out your weapon for what's there, um, and then you can't change it back. And there are places where there are like power up type weapons, like a rocket launcher, that you can grab out of a container. And those actually are kind of cool because they actually refresh in this case instead of being a one time use and it's gone kind of thing, like the first game. Um, but what I'm talking about is the other kind. I'm talking about the ones where you go and you actually can change your entire loadout. Because, uh, but but I, it's the same kind of thing though. As soon as I found that one weapon that I really liked, every time I went to one of the big supply ones where you can change your loadout, I changed it to that. And I never once I had that weapon, I never bothered to pick up a single thing from a rack. Um, and I mean, I, I did pick up the ones that were the power up type weapon, like the rocket launcher and stuff. But I was picking those up because. It didn't interfere with any of the other parts of my loadout. It was an extra thing, not a replacement kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I hear. You. I just. But basically, what I, I thought is, it, is I thought it was a variety of weapons. Did you use the variety of weapons, or did you find one and keep using the game's own systems, like I did, to, to keep funneling yourself to the same one you wanted to keep using? No, because... throughout. Because I feel like I wasn't using it as it was intended. I think they wanted variety, and I wasn't. I was doing the exact opposite well i couldn't i had to go with variety and it was mostly just trying to find what's the best secondary because as you know i love the e11 and after like the first few levels the e11 is gone unless you go and get it out of the crate thing right no i couldn't pull it out of the crate hmm. i have to go back and actually yeah look, look into, into that, that because it, it doesn't it seems wrong to me like it, i'm like why can i not use the e11 this late in the game um because i would i would like go through and i could use just about any other gun like there was tons of selections but i the e11 was not one of them and i don't know if maybe there's some sort of a card or something i needed to use or whatever but i i was very upset with that that was like probably the most frustrating thing with the entire game is going or is me knowing, you know what? I would be doing a lot better right now if I had that E11. I'm going to check on that while we're talking here, but um, that does bring up another thing that's part of the, the the campaign that's a little bit different. What did you think about, and, and this may be something that you just don't have an opinion on yet because you haven't played the multiplayer very much, mm-hmm. but how did you feel about the idea that there are star cards you can get to upgrade Aiden within the campaign, but those star cards have zero relation 
to the multiplayer card. So like all of her multiplayer star cards, you've got to get completely separately. And most of them play differently than the ones she has in campaign. Whereas in the campaign, you can get the star cards and just, you know, you're getting them kind of at a regular interval. Like should the star cards you add from campaign carry over into multiplayer? Or is it a good thing that one's tailored to single player, one's tailored to multiplayer, and the two should not be mixed together? That's a good question. And I don't, know that I can really answer it. Um, because I, I can't say one way or the other which one I think is better. I think it's something to definitely be considered. Uh, I'm curious as to what you think on it, but I don't know. I, I can kind of see both ways of, of saying, you know what, the the whole... Because to me, I guess, I guess this is what I think. I think that the way that it should work for the campaign is that by the end of the campaign, you've had the ability to at least shoot every weapon but with the multiplayer you know i don't think you should basically say oh i beat the campaign so now i have every single weapon available to me in the multiplayer gotcha i agree and i think that i think kind of depends and yes i'm looking here and you're right whenever you play the latter levels of the campaign you can use the A280, the TL50, the A280 CFE, which is the one that I stuck with, the Blurg 1120, the A280C, the uh, RT97C, the DLT20A, or the closest thing to an E11 is the DH17. Those uh, are the ones you can disagree. choose, but you can't use the E11. And as far as the star cards go, for those who haven't played it, um, there are basically, I'm trying to look here, um, you have Four boost cards, uh, Bodyguard, Survivalist, Brawler, and and a cooldown bonus, which are the same or similar to star cards you use in the regular game, except uh, that they don't carry over. These are just for the campaign. And then for the campaign, you have Shield, Heal, which doesn't exist, I don't think otherwise, uh, Disruption, Flash Grenade, Recharge Vanguard, Killstreak Vanguard, uh, Detonite Charge, and Thermal Detonator. Um, so you basically have eight ability swap star cards and four boost star cards that can be used in the campaign that you unlock as you play and that you can customize as you go back and like replay chapters or you go to one of those boxes to customize your loadout. Uh -huh. But you do not have the ability to carry any of that over to the multiplayer, even when an ability might be similar to something carried over. Like your killstreak Vanguard doesn't, crossover and all of a sudden you've already got that unlocked for your uh, assault class or anything like that and there isn't even something of Aiden's abilities you can carry over the only instance of Aiden getting something from multiplayer out of playing single player is when you finish the campaign and get a little crate that gives you one of her good items mm -hmm. so I don't know I and the fact that the campaign if I remember correctly doesn't give you any scores so it's not helping you rank up your account and because those star cards don't count as regular star cards, the little tick marks on them don't count towards your card level for Aiden or for anyone else. Um, I kind of feel like if it wasn't for the fact that you have the arcade mode that allows you to have some credit gain from playing a single player or co-op type thing instead of multiplayer, that is one area that is, would probably be controversial, mm -hmm. but that I wish that they had done, which is give us a little bit more where playing the campaign can benefit you in getting you ready more than just practice. Because, yeah, you get a little bit of stuff from doing your milestones, but you do those once and they're done, kind of like the old stars mm -hmm. from the first Battlefront. Um, but there isn't, like, any regular, 
like XP or score, as they call it in this game, kind of gain out of playing the campaign, which is unfortunate because that might actually get people to go back and play it on higher difficulty levels. But there just isn't anything unless, I guess, maybe you want a trophy or an achievement. <laughs> right, right. Um, man, I've, you know, I think um, – I don't know if there's anything else really. I, I had kind of uh, one more thing, I guess. Well, I guess there, there's a few things I can kind of mention. Okay. Um, the longest episode of Classic oh, it's gonna be long. ever. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but thankfully we're not screwing up all the time so he doesn't have to edit much. Oh, I don't know. I haven't dropped any f bombs. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say I think you and I have different uh, definitions of screwing up. No, uh, you know my the thing is I, I thought also the a lot of the level, uh, the difficulty of, mm-hmm. of some of them. You know, I guess you'd say the the difficulty progression or or whatever. It felt very un. Um, it felt just not disjointed, but um, uneven. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, there, like there were difficulty spikes from time to time. Yeah, and it really weird moments. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, like so, I'll tell you some of the um, the more challenging moments for me. Uh, the the first one was when you're supposed to be following. I think you're. I think you're in a, a Tie Fighter, if I remember correctly, and you're following Dell. And um, mm-hmm. and that big explosion. I guess it's. I guess. I guess where you're you're leaving. It's the debris of the Death Star. Yeah. That one I kept wrecking, and and what I finally did was I said screw this noise, and I flew around, and so I had that whole thing of like, hey, you're leaving the battle zone, you've got ten seconds to get back, or we're gonna boot you. Um, but I knew that I, that was basically enough time that by the time it would get down to one, I would already be back in the zone, and so I just mm-hmm. uh, sort of did a, a shortcut where there was no debris. <laughs> cheater, cheater. Well, I mean, you know what? Don't freaking give me a TIE fighter and send me into, uh, you know, an asteroid field. I I saw Empire Strikes Back. That doesn't work. Well, and and I would say that I think there were some difficult... Okay, so I don't feel like there were big difficulty spikes, but I don't know what level you were playing on. For me, I wanted to see the story first before I did anything else Uh because I want to be ready to put it on the timeline. So I played the campaign in beginner initially. Okay, yeah, I always um, go with the, difficulty level. the intermediate Just or medium or whatever. Level. Yeah. So I didn't see much in the way of difficulty spikes unless I was trying to do stealth, in which case I realized, oh, this part just isn't supposed to let you do stealth, apparently. Right. Um, but I found that I almost never died from being shot or blown up with an explosive. My deaths were almost always in a ship hitting debris, especially on that part you just mentioned, uh-huh. um, the Death Star debris thing. Um, or it was bl- it was bad platforming even with third person controls on. Like when you're Lando and you got to jump on that one ATAT to cross the lava and jump onto the other platform. The fact that there's like a quarter of that platform where it's safe to land and everywhere else will send you falling into the lava had me getting Lando killed probably at least really? eight or nine times before <laughs> I made that jump correctly. I did um, it all in the it's first. It's always shot. platforming that gets me on a game like this. It's uh-huh. all, it's rarely getting shot, especially if there's an option for a beginner level. It's always platforming. That's so weird. I mean, I'm typically I, I'm terrible at platforming as well, but I had zero issues with that. Um, that's that's funny. Um, oh God, I just every single time, and I it got to a point where I was like, Oh no, Lando, did you just die? With lava, and I kept making you know, the, the shrib jokes over because right. it was just getting ridiculous. And that kind of thing takes me 
out of the game to some degree, like getting shot and being like, okay, I got to go back in and kill them. Uh That's one thing because it still keeps me in the motivation of the game, even though I've got to repeat some of the scene. But just dying from bad platforming makes me go, damn it. And I just stop. (laughs) And it's just like. It, right. it takes me out of the game because I look at it as, okay, so was the geometry done well? I think in that case what it was was you had some bent panels, and the panels are like bent downward halfway into the panel. Uh-huh. But you can't even step on the non-bent part or you will fall into the lava. Basically, you have to land on the only panel that is completely flat, which is somewhat unintuitive. Uh, it reminded me a lot of my wife cussing up a storm while playing Crash Bandicoot mm-hmm. is what that reminded me of. The first one? Uh, Crash Bandicoot? Um, she's She's got that insane trilogy, the remastered one, where they've changed the geometry of Crash's feet so that they're not flat anymore, so he can slip off edges much more easily than on the PS1. Oh, so they made it even harder then. Cause the, yes, the Crash fir- Bandicoot is now much harder than it originally was. Well, because the original, the Crash Bandicoot hard, or Crash Bandicoot one was extremely hard. So oh yeah, yeah, and now it's yeah. now it's tougher. Like she's playing them backwards, three, two, one, because she's got to work up to the frustration that number one will be. Yeah, uh, probably <laughs> doesn't help that when my when Sony had me reset my PlayStation four supposedly to fix a disk drive that wasn't working. Uh-huh. I don't know how resetting the system stops makes your optical drive start working. But when I did mm-hmm. what they told me to do before sending it off for repla- repairs, we didn't back up her save files because I forgot that she doesn't have PlayStation Plus, but I do, so none of her save files automatically upload oh, to no. the storage. Oh. So she's replaying Crash Bandicoot now and cussing even more than she did the first time around. But... Seems like half of that is towards me. Yeah, well, that may be a, <laughs> a little bit deserved. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it felt like the jumping as Lando on certain parts made me feel like it should. Be, I should have one of those Udabaga dudes beside me. You right. Know? That if I hit the lava, okay, he, one of his goes away, but at least I survive. <laughs> so, uh, you know, another one. Um, well, the biggest one for me, and I actually ended up contacting you, uh, for this one, because I just could not figure it out, and then uh, mm-hmm. it actually led to something I thought was kind of hilarious. But um, the level where um, you're on Cloud City and, and where you're going to pick up your your ship, and they have an ATST, I kept getting killed and kept getting killed because again, I could take out maybe one or two guys um, at that part. Uh, now, first off, there's there's two doors. If you go straight ahead, you're going to go directly into a, a firefight. Um, you will be spotted. But if you take a left, then you um, you can actually do a little bit more sneaking, but not really. <laughs> it, yeah, it, you'll it, still get spotted if you head off to the left. You just are able to get into a different position before. Well, you and but n- I wouldn't even say a better position because I would say that because what I ended up doing was going straight in the end. Um, but if you go that, take that left because I'm like ah, you know, I know from my years of gaming that clearly the left option is the better option because it allows you to sneak and and it'll allow you to sneak to a better uh, area. But it really doesn't. It takes you to a place where you can't put your back against the wall. Um, it pretty much allows you to constantly get uh, surrounded and killed. So, uh, you know, but you let me know about the, uh, cause I asked you, I'm like, Hey, how, how did you do this? You know, cause I can't seem to take it down. And, and I didn't know about that. They're in the middle building, 
which you have to get to first, um, is a, a rocket launcher. So I'm like, okay, so clearly I got to get to that rocket launcher. And I was trying to see if you had any nah. sort of, uh, yeah, I was like, do you have any sort of uh, suggestion or whatever? And, and you said, yeah, the long range scopes zapper ability. And I'm like, what? Yeah, the, which you correctly identified as the pulse cannon. I was like, you know, the thing that looks like it's kind of like a charging up W or something. Like the long range scopes zapper. I'm like, the long range what? scope zapper thing. It was one of the buttons. I was doing it on, you know, he texts me in the middle of the evening. He's just like, how do you do this? And I'm like, I'm not playing right now. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> but but yeah. you knew what I meant. The long range After- zapper thing. Thingy. After having to look into it, now actually, I think you get, finally gave me a hint. Oh, I said yeah. it was like one of the shoulder buttons or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, he's talking about the pulse scan. <laughs> that long range zapper thingy. I was like, what in the world does he mean? So yeah, that and, and once I once I did start using that, I was like, oh, this is way easier. I'll just yeah. And, the ATST difficulty spike is ridiculous in well, that section. Well, it, depending on how you do it, because what I did was I just sort of went there. You know where there's the, you know, you're at the top level there. Um, I'm having a hard time trying to explain things. I guess like the like top. a balcony looking. Yeah. So, but where there's the the you know it should be two very high doors, but one of them's blown off. I just mm-hmm. I just went there and then I just started immediately the first thing I attacked was the um the ATST with the pulse cannon and then just would just charge and hit charge and hit charge and hit until I started taking damage and then you can just duck back behind that uh that metal door until your health goes back up and then you can just pop back out and start doing it again. That was extremely easy. That made a ton of difference. But um, you have to but that's not it's. I think it's a difficulty spike because it's not the way you've needed to play the game up to that point. Oh, yeah. like there's, there's no point at which you really need to be very careful of position, just use long-range type weapons, constantly duck back behind cover. In a lot of levels, not all, but I'd say in a lot of levels, you can kind of run and gun it. And you really right. can't in that one, or oh, the no. ATST is going to blow you to bits. Right. Well, and and further, it's they and and pretty much all games they train you to how do you take something like this down? Well, you need like a rocket launcher or something of that. Aim equipment. for the yellow part. Yeah, and uh, the that's not the case with this one. I mean, uh, never. What if someone said, "Hey, what would you think would probably take down?" A, a large tank or something of the sort in a video game, I'd be like, well, clearly a, a rocket launcher or, or maybe an aerial strike, depending on what your options are. And for them to go, oh, no, no, that's not it at all. The sniper rifle, duh. Like, <laughs> you know, clearly that's what makes the most sense. To me, I'm like, no, it's a sniper rifle. It's really good for taking out single units from a distance. Not so much what I would expect for trying to take out a very large vehicle. Um, so that was just something I would have never, like my, you know, I'm just not wired to think that way. I was my, every time trying to solve the problem, I thought, okay, I'm doing something wrong, but what the goal is, is get the rocket launcher and, and take it out that way. I kept thinking, okay, the right answer is rocket launcher because that's how I've been trained in gaming. So just, it's a small thing, but, um, it was really really annoying I, I probably died the most there than anywhere else in the entire game so i guess i know we're going a little long here but you know it's it's an important game it was 
big news and we can actually talk about the game this time instead of how they keep screwing up. <laughs> um, so I guess the only other thing that I would ask for your opinion on uh, right now, since we're just talking about the campaign, is whether you thought the variety worked. Because I've heard some people who have said, you know, we needed more variety to the game um, or different variety because they didn't like playing as the heroes at times or having to fly the ships. They wanted, I guess, sort of a, just a straight shooter type of thing. Um, for me personally, I thought there was probably just the right amount of it. Uh, you got some ships. You got some times where you're, you know, there's a, there's a level where you're controlling an ATAT. Other times you're on foot. Sometimes you're a hero. Sometimes you're not. Um I thought the balance was pretty good. What did you think about just the variety of it? You think this was a, you know, I guess two parts of the question. One, how did you think the variety? And as an overall thing, let's say we got a player who doesn't like multiplayer games, who would be getting this game just for single player, primarily for the campaign. Should they buy it at this point? For the campaign? Um, personally, I, I think it comes down to the type of person you are. If you have not purchased this game already, then I would say, you know, I, I would say I think everybody should get the game. But if if your thing is that you didn't, uh, if you haven't bought it already because you were on the fence about it, or if you have a lot of issues, especially with the, the surrounding problems and stuff like that, I would say that the game still does offer a really cool in-universe story, something that we've not gotten out of a game, period, since, um, what, uh, 2012, maybe? Somewhere in there? Um, I'm trying to think of when the last time one of those types of games... Well, I guess I guess technically Uprising, but... That's not a mobile game, or at least not counting microtransactions isn't a mobile game. Yeah, I don't know. Even that, I'm still like... <laughs> it, it, Uprising's sort of a, a weird situation, just because it was such a failure. But, right. anyhow, but point, it's referenced here. Did you catch that it was referenced? Yeah, where they're talking about the uh, the uh, Iron Curtain or whatever. Yeah, the, 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 the Iron Blockade when they're there at yeah, the no, uh, yeah. in Cloud City. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah there, was, there was tons of little... Um, little thing, and, and that's why I would suggest for someone, if, if you love Star Wars and everything, and, and you would do games or you know it's something you do casually or whatever but you're more interested in the story it's really cool seeing all the connections you know i mean even the mention of racks at the end i thought was cool to to actually um you know i'm i'm gonna say admit even though i'm trying to, there's, i know there's a better word but um you know to admit that there's this bigger world you know that there, these other stories exist and these other characters exist even though they're not in the game uh so for that i would say that's that yeah you should get it but of course with games like this it's going to be cheaper the longer you wait so um basically i say keep keep that to um you know you, you have to b- balance for you how long you can go without you know checking the story out for yourself you know how important it is to you for um, and the thing is, if you're listening to this, then I guess you probably don't care too much about the spoiler since we've spoiled everything. <laughs> but um, I think it, I think it comes down to you know how long would you be willing to wait? Because the thing is, at some point, this game's going to be twenty bucks, and if you care nothing about the multiplayer side of it, I think twenty dollars is a great deal to 
to actually get this story. Um, and, and probably even, you know, you could even pay more than $20. I just don't know if I, I, I don't necessarily want to suggest someone pay the full retail price of $60 right now for it. If they aren't, you know, frothing at the mouth to see what's going on anyway. And I would agree, I think. I think this is one where, like I said, I had complaints about the story, but it was more about expectation versus reality. Mm-hmm. I think the story itself was really fun, and I'm actually kind of eager to play it again. It's, You know, I, I got it, played it, went back through and got all the collectibles, or whatever you want to call interacting with those environmental items <laughs> and not getting a collectible. Um, and then I've been playing multiplayer since, and I really am kind of eager to go back in and play it again as I'm summarizing it for the timeline because I felt like it was really a fun experience. And, you know, it's it's not something that we get to see very much in Star Wars games. Heck, we just, you know, was our episode right before all this stuff when alongside Jedi challenges and everything was talking about visceral games and how that supposed single-player story-based game is now something else. Yeah. Um because there's so little of that out there and because it was entertaining, I would definitely recommend trying it out. I would definitely say play it. I'm not sure that if I would say – with that said, that I would buy it though. When I say play it, uh, I don't use any of the game rental services or anything like that, but I know they exist, like Netflix right. for games kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean you could blaze through this campaign in you know an afternoon or an evening – Oh, yeah. And then just be done with it. And if you really have no desire for any multiplayer at all, and maybe even the arcade mode doesn't appeal to you, then unless you're wanting to have a copy that you own because the DLC is coming that fills in even more of the story, there's really not a need for the purchase. Um, I think it's a game worth picking up. I would probably say wait until the price goes down if you have issues with anything else about it, whether it's the multiplayer or otherwise, basically what Michael said. Um but it's one that's kind of in that weird zone of, well, it might actually make the most sense for a rental if it weren't for the DLC thing. Um, you might actually want to approach this if you want to see the story, including the DLC, but you don't want to pay full price or even anything close to full price. You might want to do for this what my wife and I basically do for Game of Thrones, which we didn't do for Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery, we're just paying by the month for CBS All Access. <laughs> But for Game of Thrones, we wait until all the episodes have aired and then get HBO Now for one month, watch it all, and then kill that subscription immediately so we only pay for one month to watch the whole season. Yeah. Um, This might be an instance of, well, I'll rent it, but I will wait and rent it until after I know that all the seasons of Story DLC are over so I can rent it. Load it on my system, get the free story DLC, see everything, and then be able to be done with it. Because if you do it now, then you're not going to have the game on hand to be able to see how the story expands in the DLC like Resurrection that comes out on December 13th. Well, I'm, That's the only caveat that would keep me from saying, for a story player, this might be a rent. Well, see, but here's the or thing. Or borrow or whatever. Here, here's what I'm saying, though, is actually for the rental situation, it looks like to rent a video game is like $3 a day. So you, I still think it would be worth it to rent Battlefront, um, play it, beat it. Now I would say wait until you know, depending on how long you think it's going to take you. I would say maybe two to three days. You know, just whatever, how much ever you think you're going to invest in. It. Especially if you're going to play it as, um, you know, on the easiest mode because you're just mostly interested in the story. You'll probably go a lot faster. 
Um, but yeah, just maybe about two or three days is what you would need for this. So you could theoretically, as we get closer to December 13th, go rent it for a couple of days, you know, three bucks a day, beat that, beat the, um, that extra DLC and then take it back. And then if you, if they say, okay, guess what? We're doing more DLC. Um, just rent it again at that date, three bucks and then play that DLC. And you still end up paying like less than $20 by the time it's probably all said and done. And depends on how much DLC they have. Right. Well, but of but, course, but I mean, we're talking specific story DLC. We won't know. Yeah. Just, right. Yeah. They're, they're talking about a lot of story DLC as part of these seasons but, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. A mm-hmm. lot of games, when they say there's going to be story DLC, there's like one or two, and then everything else is multiplayer, and you're like, why did I buy the season pass for this? Right. But at least in this case, it's all or Or, you stuff. know, if, if you're doing this, like I, I still say, maybe, I think right now is probably a good time, like I said, as, as we're getting close to, not right now specifically, now's a bad time, but in the next week or two, right as we're uh, approaching... Uh, that first set of DLC, I think that would be a good time to do it. And then if you want, wait until everything comes out and then hit all that stuff at once instead of just waiting for everything. True. I I got to wonder how long this is going to take to get to a bargain bin because I don't think we've seen a situation in recent memory where we've had a big AAA title like this that you would expect to be sitting there at 60 bucks full price for a while that has had so much bad press and so much of a hit to the even just like the stocks of the company mm-hmm. that you could almost see it going lightning fast to a bargain bin. It's like the big budget movie. Everybody's like, yeah, this is going to be so awesome. Then it comes out. Nobody goes to see it. And it winds up at the dollar movie, you know, much faster than anyone expected, even though, you know, its quality level is what or it's it's a uh, production values would make you think it would have stuck around longer. Right. Um, I don't know. It may. I mean. It's December 3rd as we're recording this. It kind of makes me wonder, could we see this, you know, as a bargain price shortly after Christmas? Even? Yeah, I, I think, I think um, it's going to stay though, the same I think price that would be, would Christmas. you agree that that would be physical copies, not digital, that would probably go bargain price first, that the digital will probably stay at full price? Because that seems to be the, the, that's the, the trend. pattern I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think yeah. you're right. I think that that's the trend. And personally, I, I don't see right now... You know, I think we've probably had this conversation before, but I, I don't see buying video games digitally as a. It doesn't seem beneficial at the moment. I, I think, it, at least for consoles, um, I'd, I'd buy tons of digital games for uh, my PC, but for consoles, I think right now is just not beneficial to do that. And I wouldn't suggest um, that because, like you said, I, I don't see them dropping in price. But either way you get it, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I expect a hit. I think that they're going to do, um, they're going to wait until the new year for two reasons. Um, one, The Last Jedi, and two, Christmas. Um, I think that they want to try to keep the price high um, during those periods because you're going to see a lot of people who, um, you know, going to get it as a Christmas present. And you're going to see a lot of people who would have interest in it because of its relation to what's essentially going to be the biggest movie of the year. Um, so I think with those two things, then they want to have let the price be as high as it can be during that period to, you know, to try to recoup some of these costs or whatever. But then once that's done, I don't think that they can expect any more um you know, not not many more people to actually pay for the game um, with the the reputation that it has, and I think at that point 
we're going to start seeing some cuts. And probably microtransactions returning if that's when they're going to. I can see them returning microtransactions right after the holidays. Possibly, like I said, I from Maybe. what I'm if seeing they're, is, if they're yeah. going to, I, I haven't yeah. seen the things that you've seen that you said that you think that their microtransactions may not be coming back at all because last I saw it was sort of a they're coming but we're going to retool everything before that happens and God knows what that even means. Yeah, so of course, um, we uh, I, I did not look for starting this episode to see if we actually had a uh, a review like I normally do, but um, of course we're over on the StarWarsReport.com. Uh, you can also always reach us by finding us on Twitter or uh, Facebook. And it's just Cloud City Casino for both of those. Um, we are on, let's see, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, the Google Play Store. We are under the Star Wars Podcast app. Uh, I think I saw Podbean were on. Um, all sorts of places. Uh, we also have our um, email, which you can uh, find us over there. And uh, it's just uh, Cloud City Casino, Cloud City Casino at gmail.com. Um, and shoot us, you know, I, I, f- I think a lot of people have um, opinions and thoughts on, you know, what we've said about this. And, you know, just in general, they have thoughts on the, uh, uh, the new Battlefront game, whether that's the story mode, some of the controversy. Um, multiplayer whatever send us an email so that we can discuss that on our next show um definitely want want to see people get those in and um also just leave us a review on itunes uh, especially i mean any of those um any of those podcatchers that have the option would be great but specifically itunes it it makes a big difference for you know allowing us to show up in feeds and and people actually seeing us to uh get turned on to us so Definitely please leave us a, a review over there, and we will read that out on the show. Um, I'm just Morris Isley on Instagram and on uh, Twitter. And then, Nate, where are all the places you can be found? Well, uh, my Star Wars Timeline Gold, the most comprehensive Star Wars chronology available anywhere, which just had its 20th anniversary release at over 3,100 pages, is over at StarWarsFanWorks.com slash Timeline. You can hear me also on Star Wars Beyond the Films, which I host with Mark Herleman, which is over at StarWarsReport.com, right alongside Cloud City Casino. Uh, my YouTube channel is YouTube.com slash Chrono Radio, C-H-R-O-N-O Radio, all is one word. Uh, I have revived my Battlefront live stream podcast, as I call it on there, which is the live streams that I do that's more about the discussion with the people in the chat or the guests uh, who happen to come on and play with me and the commentary and stuff like that. So that's going. In fact, I'll probably be streaming again soon, uh, probably tonight. And um, my book, A Saga on Home Video, A Fan's Guide to U.S. Star Wars Home Video Releases, can be found at Amazon at this point, alongside uh, another book that just recently got released called A More Civilized Age, Exploring the Star Wars Expanded Universe, which is a book full of essays uh, talking about the Star Wars saga in some form or another, in this case, the books, published by Sequart, which I had the honor of uh, participating in and getting to write the afterword for not just that book, but the whole series as an afterword that is opposite a forward in that book by Timothy Zahn, which I thought was a pretty cool experience. So uh, lots of places to find it, but if you're looking for the gaming stuff, the YouTube channel is probably the primary place to go outside of Cloud City Casino. All right. So like I said, uh, just join us next time. We're going to talk about the multiplayer, send those uh, emails or tweets or whatever so we can... uh, sort of discuss that and but until then bye.
Let the Wookiee win. Especially if he has a long-range zapper thingy. <laughs> it's called a pulse cannon. Still a pulse cannon, Nate. But at least it's not a cloud car. <laughs> this party's over.